Welcome to Peak Market Watch, bringing listeners the latest news in the commercial real estate industry. Every other Wednesday, Anton Matley from Peak Financing will interview a variety of investors, brokers, syndicators, vendors, and finance experts who live and breathe commercial real estate. Whether you are a commercial real estate professional or completely new to the industry, Peak Market Watch will give you an inside look into the state of the market from experts who know it best. Let's get into the show. Welcome to today's episode of Peak Market Watch. We speak with market leaders in commercial real estate and related services who have a close pulse on the current market environment. My name is Anton Madley, co-founder and CEO of Peak Financing, and I'm honored to welcome Kevin Day, who is a partner at Dress Day and Associates, a firm that specializes in estate planning and asset protection law. Uh, welcome, Kevin. Uh, it was a, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Anton, thank you for having me on. It's always good talking with you. Yeah, definitely. So we know each other now for quite some time, right? We are actively involved with the uh, real estate guys and uh, their uh, their students and clients. So uh, uh, we have to uh, we got to know each other uh, over the a number of years now, and uh, it, it's a, what you are doing is is a. It might be not on the radar for a lot of uh, people, but I would say it's a very important aspect of what uh, investors uh, should consider and anyone who has a reasonable amount of, of assets. But uh, rather than me rattling on what, what you could potentially do, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself as well as your firm? Yes. Uh, my subject, well, I think it's exciting, but for an entrepreneur, uh, lawsuit protection and privacy planning isn't usually top of the list because it's not the fun part. It's not going after the next real estate deal or you know, uh, figuring out the puzzle of uh, growth that they're going through, whether they're just accumulating you know, income generating single family residences or whether they're doing very complex syndications or investing in syndications. All that stuff is very exciting and motivates the, the um, uh, investor. Uh, what we do is on the other side, not making the wealth, but making sure the client can keep the wealth. And um, it's un unfortunately, you know, we get calls, you know, every week. I just got a call this morning from a woman, not a large estate. Uh, she had two apartment complexes um, uh, in her own name, which wasn't the issue because it wasn't a boiler that blew up. It was, she was inching out into a very blind, uh, the bushes were, were there. So she was inching out into a street that didn't have a stop and uh, a motorcycle came zipping along and, and hit the front of her hood. There were witnesses that said that she was being very cautious and everything, but she was there. And, um, you know, the motorcycle is probably going too quickly. There's hedges that were up, but she's the one that has to prove herself out of that bag. And they're going to come down the ownership chain, whether it was in an LLC or not, to take, you know, her wealth. Uh, 
So uh, it can be very simple doing, you know, just because we're good people doesn't mean bad things can't uh, happen in our legal system. Yeah, it's a very good point, right? It's uh, unfortunate that that, uh, that that happens. And uh, obviously, we, we live in a very uh, litigious uh, uh, environment, particularly in the United States, right? Uh, I'm from uh, Switzerland, right? In Europe, uh, it's not as common for, for people to, to sue there. Uh, whereas, uh, as I've learned myself in, in the US, it's, uh, it's very easy to file a lawsuit, right? And uh, if anyone has a, has a view, well, maybe there are some assets that it can go after. It's, it's pretty easy to, to file a lawsuit, right? Yes. And uh, it's uh, unfortunately for the individual that then has to, uh, to, to defend him or herself, uh, it can become very costly. So it, it, it makes sense to, to start out uh, on the best foot and obviously to protect your assets as much as you can. You cannot stop the lawsuits. But the, the less someone feels that uh, you one has assets that can easily be uh, uh, attacked, the, the less likely it obviously is that someone will ever consider to file a lawsuit. Exactly. Uh, yeah, we, we have 94% of the world's lawsuits in the United States. It's become such an industry. Uh, yeah. It's crazy. Um, the... And as you're mentioning, uh, privacy in and of itself is not lawsuit protection, but it goes so hand in hand with lawsuit proofing in a state, lowering your profile so that somebody can't just type in and see, oh, you own, you know, four apartment buildings and uh, there's only a lien of such and such. We know how much equity they have. Uh, yeah, this is good, good lawsuit. Let's or, you know, full steam ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, so what are you, the, some of the structures that you uh, that you you recommend for depending on obviously uh, someone where someone is in terms of assets, as well as uh, in in term uh, in terms of activities that uh, that they have. I'm. I would uh, think that it's a different story whether someone has uh, uh, is a W two employee compared to someone who is a an active real estate investor and may also just uh, uh, someone who is just investing in someone else's uh, deals. Yes, um, we have the whole gamut, um, which is exciting. Uh, our our firm is in the top two in the country regarding offshore asset protection, um, uh, offshore protection trusts particularly. Those were approved in uh, the late 1980s. Um, that was the first time ever when once we signed the Hague Convention on Trust where US persons could establish a trust under other countries' trust laws even if they were diametrically opposed to the U.S. trust law, and it was still the law of the land in the United States and under U.S. law removes U.S. court jurisdiction. That's really powerful. Um, uh, certainly, uh, you know, we have that 
at one end for uh, larger estates or medium estates that have super high risk. But down at the other end, you know, the typical answer going to a corporate lawyer, real estate lawyer, and a state planning lawyer, and you ask, I want lawsuit protection. <clears throat> they say, how many pro you know, properties do you have? Oh, you need you know, seven LLCs. And that's, um, you know, conventionally, that, that is, is sound, putting eggs in different baskets. But uh, there's so much more that can be done by a true lawsuit protection expert, so that you don't even lose the equity in a particular property, even though that property harms someone. Or in the example that this woman that called us this morning, um, that it has nothing to do with what's in that LLC. It's they're suing you personally, and they're coming down the ownership chain. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, there's so many different things that can be used. Uh, and we have domestic copycat trusts now starting in 97 that copy the Hague Convention Trust where you can name yourself as your beneficiary, but you're not the legal owner, and we can prove that. They're very powerful mechanisms. Um, the uh, somebody certainly that's in uh, syndication where you're taking other people's money, you have SEC regulation liability, besides the normal market liability and the project liability. Uh, those people really should seriously consider the offshore card because it's so powerful. Um, but if you're, um, let's say, a high, a W-2 uh, wage earner who is making good money and now has disposable income, and they're starting to, to invest in other people's syndication, they want privacy. They should start to consider probably the domestic uh, forms of lawsuit protection trust, but they don't need that big of a hammer as the offshore version. Um, and then at, at a pure minimum, uh, as we were talking earlier, uh, before we got started, uh, a passive investor in syndication uh, certainly should have at least an LLC to make that investment. The passive investment is cash. That's zero liability. However, you're giving your name into the public record that you're a high, you know, uh, uh, margin uh, investor, and you then become a target to the underbelly of our society. Um, if you're going in for a tax position, so you're coming in as a general partner, you have full liability for that project. You have great upside on the wealth side and the tax treatment, but the liability is very high and, and you feel very removed because you didn't make the project. You're not the syndicator, but as general partner, you have heightened liability. So you want a heightened lawsuit protection plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, a very important point, right? Because uh, we see quite a bit of uh, of syndications where you have the you can call them the lead sponsors or uh, uh, the key principles in a deal, whatever it might be, right? So the the ones that are might be 
the most visible, the ones that find the deal that are running primarily with the deal, but very often they bring in some other partners that uh, you have mentioned or GPs or the general partners uh, that may play a minor role in the deal, but they are still general partners, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so it's it's a good point that uh, that they recognize that they are visible, right? And they are also exposed to uh, to these risks. They may not be exposed to the uh, as a guarantor for a loan necessarily, but obviously we do not talk about just uh, being. Uh, being responsible for for on, on on signing on a loan, but we talk about the uh, the, the liability risk and risk of, of being uh, uh, involved in a lawsuit, right? And I think that's uh, it's a it's a very important point, even if one has just a, a small percentage in one particular deal as a GP. One is no longer on the uh, strictly in there as a passive investor, right? Yes, and I've I've done the GP route a few times, mm -hmm. and it's worth it. But it always you know makes, and I have a good asset protection structure in place. It still makes me a little bit nervous. Although the pay, the 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 reward is definitely worth it. But you sure. just have to be yeah. cognizant. Yeah, it's always it's always a balancing act at the end, right? Exactly. Yeah. So uh, when we talk, uh, look at the, the domestic structures that you can put in place compared to the offshore structures, uh, how do you determine what is, uh, what, when one or the other is, is more suitable? Do you drive that primarily by asset size uh, or by income stream, or how, how do you determine together with, with your clients which structure would be the most suitable? Because we can assume, obviously, that the offshore structure is more costly than a domestic structure, right? Yes, it's about three times more expensive. Yeah. Um, we used to really just gauge it on risk, you know? So if you had machines that could take people's arms off, uh particularly if you had less skill employees using those machines we're going to encourage offshore if uh, uh somebody has you know uh, depending on the industry and lots of employees then we start you know considering offshore but ultimately everyone kept on asking what dollar amount and and we avoided i avoided answering that for probably 15 years mm -hmm. but in reverse engineering i started noticing when did our clients choose offshore and it was around three and a half certainly by four million dollar estates um and i contemplated that and and this is my conclusion is that about three and a half million most people some people have incredible spending habits but the majority of people all their creature comforts are taken care of they've you know gotten into a better home they've uh, bought the little bit of a dream car not just the basic car and then they start to have disposable income and that's when they turn around and say what can make money while I'm not pushing the ball mm -hmm. and they start to get into real estate and but that once you get into that 
where you're accumulating disposable income, you start to deploy that extra income and it starts making money and people realize that they start to grow exponentially. And they also have a cognition that, oh, even if I don't get any more, if I can preserve this, even if I get hit by lightning rods in lawsuit terms, I can have a decent lifestyle. I need to protect this. So uh, at 3.5, people start uh, you know, seriously thinking about it. 4 million and above, they really should seriously consider it. Um, somebody that's 2 million and below, and we even have small syndicators that are, you know, they, they're good at finding projects and they've run out of their own money, so they're doing it, but offshore is just too big of a hammer. So 2 million and above, we really don't want to go down that route. Between 2 million and 4 million, that's where we take a lot of time to educate because, um, you know, is there a super high risk? despite probably not a lot of growth or somebody said you know i i was a renter five years ago and now i have my own home and five other properties and four employees and i'm growing crazy but i'm only at three million well maybe they should you know stretch should they the question is should they stretch and get the offshore or should we do a transition or bridge trust, a trust that is a US trust that can move easily offshore in the future and, and needs special provisions because um, the only way to attack an irrevocable trust domestically or out in the world is to allege and prove fraudulent conveyance that you had a known existing current creditor today. So you don't want to set up a domestic trust where you're the beneficiary, then say, oh, now I want to have an offshore trust, get the asset back as a beneficiary, you can have full distribution back to you. And then you set up a new trust. Well, now you're vulnerable and you're starting a new statute of limitations. Mm -hmm. And so with special provisions, we can have it move and we'll get the initial settlement as far as fraudulent conveyance. So you might have a trust for a year and a half and then move to, let's say, Nevis or Cook Islands or a jurisdiction that has short statute of limitations, and you only have another you know, half a year to get full, complete bar statute of limitations protection. Yeah, yeah, very good point. Uh, so I think of, uh, very often when I talk to prospective uh, uh, clients about uh, about uh, both U.S. as well as particularly offshore asset protection, and we talk about irrevocable trusts, mm. and one of the key questions that comes up: Okay, so what about all the depreciation benefits that uh, that I'm getting? In the US right now, I have it all in LLC and I may have it in a living trust, a revocable trust. So it's a, it, it's a, everything is a pass through uh, structure and I get all the benefits from a, from a tax perspective. Uh, I know you are not a CPA, but maybe you uh, still can touch a little bit on, on that concern because that is definitely. Uh, always a concern uh, when we talk about investment types that that have that benefit of of massive 
depreciation uh, like real estate? Yes, uh, and that is always a concern to clients. Uh, we create our structures as disregarded entities, including the offshore trust or the domestic version. Um, uh, we would need to have special um, instruction from the client to do otherwise, because we presume the clients, when they usually get to us, have already fine-tuned their tax write-offs and carry-forwards and their whole machine. And they desperately want the lawsuit protection, but they say, oh, I don't want those kinds of changes in ownership that would cause tax effect. And so 95% of our structures are disregarded. The trusts are grantor trusts. They just happen to be very high fangled, uh, irrevocable trust, but the grantor trust is a tax term, an IRS term. And the living trust is a grantor trust. And a grantor means the grantor, the person setting up the trust is going to be tax responsible. Mm -hmm. We can do that with the offshore trust. So we do not mess with any uh, tax and they will still get their uh, uh, you know, deductions that are very important to the game. <laughs> okay, very good. So uh, that's an excellent point. Uh, another point, as, as you know, that is also brought up on a regular basis, right, is that lenders, particularly in the commercial real estate field, that they want to see net worth as well as liquidity, right? And as long as it's in someone's name or if it's in a revocable trust or, or a structure that is a true pass-through uh, by by how anyone in the US will look at it, it's easy, right? Because it just said, uh, well, it's a pass through and here is my net worth. Mm -hmm. uh, can you outline that, how, how you would tackle that once you are in, in that offshore uh, structure? Yes, yes. Um, the, there, there's several things at play. Uh, one uh, is there are several types of ownership. There's technical ownership uh, for lawsuits. And from a lawsuit protection point of view, uh, corporations are separate legal people, but you have to own them. Something has to own them and it will only end in two ultimate owners, a flesh and blood human, no one owns you, and no one owns an irrevocable trust. And that's why they're lawsuit proof, one of the reasons. Um, but the IRS defines ownership differently. And it really kind of plays back to the definition of a grantor trust. And so it is still part of your estate. It is, and this is where we use attorney weasel words, um, you are the beneficial owner and you are the tax owner. So we can go to banking and say, I do own this LLC and that LLC and this LLC, and, and you're not perjuring yourself or misleading, but also because it's still in your estate, it's still tax ownership, we can do a consolidated report. So um, two approaches, one is doing a, a, a consolidated report where the CPA 
and uh, is putting forward, and we can also do attestations that this is the entire estate of the client. And we're not trying to lawsuit proof it from financing. We will make these assets available and we can prove that up to the banker. We've not seen any uh, problems with that. Uh, but we also take that approach that I kind of mentioned first is not really mentioning an irrevocable trust because sometimes uh, bankers get skittish. We've never had anything not approved, but it might take an extra month to get to the level decision maker in the bank that uh, that understands these sorts of things and uh, that it is, and we can describe the law. But if they're just asking who the beneficial ownership it is, we can say all of these LLCs, including the piggy bank that has all the cash <laughs> um, is me and uh, go forward. And 50% uh, of the time, we don't even have to disclose a trust. If we do disclose a trust, we do consolidated uh, report. Excellent. Uh, you you mentioned the, est, uh, the estate, right? So what what impact uh, would you say does it have on on estate planning? Uh, yes, any any and every trust at its heart is an estate planning tool. So. Uh, even uh, these asset protection trusts, whether they're offshore or the domestic version, will be. We will do a full uh, interview and intake related to your, uh, uh, you know, dis, uh, distributive uh, distribution desires and conditions uh, that we would put in a living trust, for instance. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want Billy and Sally to get. Uh, too much money if you die too early and they're too young. Um, larger estates particularly, we want uh, divorce proofing provisions uh, that, uh, you know, as long as uh, you're keeping my daughter, uh, you know, uh, Afia in my case, happy, then you'll get all this access to the kingdom. But the kingdom is never that I've built is not going to be put directly in her name, but kept as sole and separate property so we can divorce proof the inheritance. Uh, larger estates particularly are very concerned with that. And uh, we can put all that in, in the trust on the estate planning side. Yeah, okay, very good. What, what about uh, planning for, for death? Uh, do you also have some, some implementations that, that you need to consider specifically with the offshore uh structures uh no one we're using professional trustees in those cases but we can add a uh a u.s co-trustee which is the trusted person in the family yeah. and we can do that from the onset but more frequently it's triggered upon the demise of our client the person that set up the trust so that that trusted person um, that would be carrying out the estate plan in a living trust uh, would still be the person that uh, would be called upon uh, to, to uh, carry out the, the wrap-up of, of the right. estate, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. okay. Very good. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, possibilities there, right? Uh, but it takes time, right, to set it all up. So what, what would you say typically 
from the uh, from the time that someone recognizes i think i need to do something until everything is is put in place uh, through you what would be the typical time frame that one should should keep in mind yeah um usually when somebody as long as they um some entrepreneurs a few uh you know have take the position that uh i kind of go on my gut instinct i've been trained over years that usually my first impression is correct and um, we've been referred to you by a good source and we've looked online and you only have good reviews nothing bad and i know i need asset protection here's my check go away <laughs> you know make it happen uh uh, you know, that does happen regularly enough, but that's not normal. That's not what we would recommend. We uh, are educators. Uh, we think it's important. You don't want to go back to law school, but you do need to, one, know that we are the experts that we say we are. We're not going to get our clients in any trouble by leading them down the wrong path. And that the structures that we're recommending do answer the problem that you're concerned with, whether it's privacy, whether it's the estate planning, wealth transfer to heirs, or lawsuit protection, and that we've created something that does answer those and explained it enough that it's comfortable. So that might take a month, let's say, if somebody is referred to us, we work with them, we're, we're probably having quite a few meetings, sending uh, extra information and everything so that they can see what we're proposing mm -hmm. um, once somebody says yes and we get a questionnaire on our desk it takes about two weeks for us to get product out we're very uh quick we've seen basic estate plans you know <laughs> living trust <laughs> somebody tells me yeah mine took three or four months before i got it and i said things can happen we're on we're on the we're responsible. We we don't want to be responsible. We know what liability is and that lawsuits can happen for no reason. So we get our product out right away. But it usually takes uh, three weeks and maybe four weeks really to sew everything up and get everything in place. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Uh, so that's not too bad, right? So if... Yeah. Uh, if everyone is really committed to to make the changes, it might be two months, right? Yes, uh, yes. to go uh, through the process of education and uh, product development. Okay, so uh, once everything is is put in place, uh, what would you say is the is the yearly maintenance? Uh, obviously, there is a cost associated with it, uh, but. Um, not really talk about the cost because that's different from in in each case depending on on an individual structure, but more what uh, what what an individual's or a family's actual involvement is on a on a yearly basis after everything is put in place. Yes, uh, the structuring. Many of the things what we're trying to do is make it. Uh, um, not impinge on uh, and be administrative burden uh, because the clients make money by being out and running their businesses and acquiring you know new investments and new properties uh 
so even though we might have, let's say, a trust and an underlying piggy bank company and a real estate holding uh, configuration is very common, but the trust goes up on the shelf right away. So mm. you're really only getting one extra company that is completely lawsuit protected. And that becomes our basis. And the client is the manager of that. And being the manager does not weaken the structure at all. The law is very clear that it imputes no ownership being a manager, it's an employee, but that way we can give them back the power. So they have the checkbooks, they decide what they're paying themselves in salary, they buy and sell just as usual. But instead of having a long term savings account, now they have whatever they end up calling it Golden Mountain Enterprises checkbook. Right. Uh, yeah. So once it's in place, it's very smooth running. The annual maintenance on an international structure is going to be about $3,500 a year with government registration and annual trustee fees. Mm -hmm. The domestic equivalent is going to be um, under $800 a year to maintain. And it can actually go all the way down to about $285. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. a year and that's really the corporate maintenance not the trust sure um, yeah yeah trust can be in a position to have no annual fees at all yes yeah okay so that's not too bad right when particularly when you consider particularly active investors uh, uh and syndicators that have a lot of entity structures that's not a uh, such a significant amount, considering uh, no. all the uh, the maintenance costs that one has for, for all the domestic LLCs for the various uh, real estate entities, right? So, <laughs> right. Uh, I think a, a, a bigger chunk, certainly, that is also important to consider with with all of this, from a not necessarily money, but again, also work perspective and smoothness of operation is the, the accounting side. Uh, so uh, I assume that you work uh, or recommend at least for your clients to work with, with specific CPAs that really understand the structures that you're recommending so that the, the US piece is, is uh, smoothly and properly integrated with, with, uh, with the offshore piece. Yes, and um, uh, we have people, Mike Pine is an example, right. um, that uh, you want to, uh, if, if you have a CPA that's worked with your estate and everything, we will take the time and educate them and make sure that they know what we're dealing with and the forms they need to file and how to make it work. But a lot of people will say, I've kind of outgrown, you know, they've been with me for a while, but I've kind of drugged them up <laughs> rather than them supporting me the way that uh, I've gotten and the sophistication that I have now. And so uh, we can recommend you to people that know what we do and uh, you're not having to pay them to get educated on, on how to handle these kinds of structures. Yeah. Uh, excellent. Uh, I mean, for, for, for our listeners, right, uh, uh, I think we cannot stress it enough, and we, we have that discussion all the time, 
particularly when someone is a real estate investor, uh, there are great CPAs out there that are excellent in corporate accounting, but they are not necessarily great in real estate accounting. There are also uh, CPAs that are great in oil and gas, but not that great in real estate and vice versa. So it's really important that CPA understands that particular field their client is active in. And obviously they need to fully understand what you are doing and recommending so that that the, the accounting piece and ultimately the tax filing piece is all all smoothly integrated so that there are no hiccups on one side, but also that all the deductions are properly accounted for and not lost, right? So that's where the rubber meets the road (laughs) and uh, forgetting a piece or not recommending something that can really uh, dramatically change the tax consequences is so important. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Kevin, uh, all great information. Really appreciate that uh, that you took your time to, to explain. I know it's uh, compared to talking about deals and uh, taking down deals and closing on deals, it's it's not sounding too exciting, right? But it's, a, it's an important piece to, uh, to protect whatever one is building. So uh, I hope our listeners... Uh, uh, take value from f- from our discussion today. Uh, how how are our listeners able to uh, to reach you, Kevin? Yes. Um, well, uh, our my office number at Trust Day Law is eight five eight seven five five six six seven two eight five eight seven five five six six seven two or they can email me at kevin at tresp day law and that's t-r-e-s-p day d-a-y dot com and um, we can either set up an appointment or we can send you out you know education material that's uh, my primary job is is educating because then you have a good client yeah very good. Uh, yes, yeah, so you you have produced some some excellent white papers, right? That uh, that uh, outline some of the the protections that are available, and I would say that is probably the best first step, right? Uh, yes. Uh, when someone reaches out to you, that they that they get uh, get to know what what the at the high level, at least, what the, what the options are, so that when you go into detail with them, that they already have the, the basic understanding. It's not that easy to understand for the layman, right, or laywoman, but uh, uh, that's at least the starting point. Well, we know the listeners of Peak Financing are already taking care of themselves and their, uh, high, their acuity already has led them to the right path. So yes. I really appreciate you having me on, Anton. It's, yeah, uh, thanks again, Kevin. Really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Yep, bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Peak Market Watch. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date on the latest episodes. If you're interested in receiving a free commercial real estate loan quote for your property, click the link in the description. We look forward to connecting with you on our next episode of Peak
Peak Market Watch.